Our theme verse, Joshua 1.9. You're good, you're good, you're good. Joshua 1.9, this is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's just pray. I want to just stop and pray here, Lord. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence into this place, God. As we, as we discuss a really tough subject today, Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak and, and just begin to do surgery on our hearts, Lord, even when it hurts, God, Lord, that you would do surgery on our hearts, Lord, that we would become closer and closer and more whole and mature in you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, Jesus' name. You know, this, this, this had to do, this verse, when jo- God's talking to Joshua, had a lot more to do uh, with Joshua's inner struggle of fear than it had to do with <clears throat> anything to do with, you know, using bows and arrows and swords and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and so God was saying, Joshua, do not be afraid. You've got to, we've got to root this out of your heart. Let me, I want to let you know I'm there for you. So that's what this whole series is on. Be strong and courageous. But it's really about learning to fight the inner struggle so that we can get on the front lines. And we'll talk about that in a second. But, um, John 14, 30 says, I will no longer talk much with you. This is Jesus talking for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. I mean, think about that a second. Jesus is saying, Satan has no, what we talked about last week, foothold. He has no foothold on me. He has no hook around me. He has nothing in me. I go to the cross out of my own fruition. I go out of my, out of my own will. I am doing this because I'm being obedient, not because I'm being pushed. I don't know about you, but I want to be able to say that in my own life. I want to be able to say, I am totally transparent. Take my phone. I, I, well, you can do that now, hopefully. <laughs> but I, I want, don't we all want to say it? Take my phone. Look at it. There's nothing to hide. There's nothing I'm afraid of. You, you, look at my life. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. What was Paul? Paul was saying, look, watch my life and see how I live, and that's how you should live for Jesus. And that's a hard thing to say, isn't it? But it's about being strong and courageous to go through and look at these things in our lives. And so uh, Pastor David had a dream, and I shared it last week. I don't know if you watched online or not, but I'm going to share it again in his own words. He says, uh, we were getting, Pastor David's our, our youth pastor, says, we were getting ready for service one Sunday, and I walked out into the lobby, and this was in his dream. And I saw that the lobby was full of tons of people waiting to get into the sanctuary. So I ran back and I told you, me, and you told me to go see what's going on. And then I went out and I asked, and they said, we are waiting to be healed. And I looked and they all had signs on their chest that said things like anxiety, depression, divorce, emotional abuse. We could probably add to that list, right? Woundedness. Insecurity. And he says, and after that, I felt like God was saying, resonate is going to be a place where people come to get healed from these things. What's interesting with David, if you haven't been around long enough, uh, he had nightmares, night terrors up until what? I don't know where you're at, David, but just uh, just a couple of months ago, God totally supernaturally freed him from it. Now God's given him dreams, prophetic dreams. So... God spoke to me a year ago, and he said, Jeff, a wounded soldier, an untrained and unequipped soldier is just as ineffective as an unenlisted soldier. We are enlisted in the army of God, right? Second Timothy tells us that we are soldiers of Christ. When we're wounded in the battle with bitterness, insecurity, regret, guilt, shame... We can't be on, we're not out on the battle lines fighting for Jesus, right? We're in the, we're in the hospitals trying to get, lick our wounds and say, come on. And think about those who are ill-equipped, meaning they don't know God's word. They don't, haven't learned how to pray and, and the discipleship thing happening. Think about a soldier. If you just threw somebody out in Afghanistan and says, here's a gun, here's whatever you need. Here, here's a, a, a grenade, go out there and have fun. I mean, what are they going to do? No, I would, I would run in terror. But when they've been trained, they are strong and courageous. And the Lord was sp- speaking to us. There's a whole lot I want to say. I shared a little bit last week, but 
Um, God's really calling this church to come to pl- be a place of healing and a place of discipleship where people grow in their faith and we, we just, we're going to see a huge harvest of souls. But when those people come in, we can't just be like, praise God, high five, you, you, you know Jesus, and figure it out on yourself. we got to start discipling them, right? I'm not hearing enough rights. Come on, right? Right? Everybody still got the... Uh, Snowmageddon blues, man. I don't know what's going on, everybody. I I get it. So today we're going to be talking about uh, discussing regret, shame, and guilt. So Sarah and I took a trip to Arizona a few months ago, and we went skiing in Flagstaff. And we rented a house for three days. And one of the days, I probably think it was the last day, right? Maybe on the way out, we we pulled out of our house... And got on a two-lane road. It was about, uh, it was pretty fast. You can go like 65 or 70 on this two-lane road. And we, as soon as we pulled out, we see these two little dogs. And we're like, oh, no. Um, one of them looked kind of like a boxer, I think, kind of. And then the other one was like a little Labrador retriever. It was a baby. It was like a little puppy. And uh, so we see them in the road. And we're like, oh, no, man. What, what are you guys doing out here? And so I stopped. For, we stopped for a second. We're just kind of watching them. and like... And so they slowly begin to walk across. We were going this way, slowly begin to walk across the street, and they were into going into a uh, driveway that was right there. And we thought, okay, that must be their home. So we keep driving, but I keep watching in my rearview mirror. And then all of a sudden, the little puppy goes back into the road and starts sniffing something. And and then as I'm driving, it's starting to get a little dark, and then somebody come, starts coming this way at me at about 70 miles an hour. And I'm looking, I'm like, surely he's going to see them. Surely he's going to see them. Surely they're going to see them. And sure enough, they stopped. And then they kept, and stopped for a second, and I'm like, oh, I guess it's okay. And I slowed down at that point. There's nobody. It's a pretty pretty deserted road. And I, and I, I looked, and then they started driving off. And then I looked at my rearview mirror and I said, there looks like something in the road. And so we turn around and we go back. And sure enough, both dogs have been hit. Um, I will spare you the details, but there was stuff all over the road. The little puppy was totally gone. And the little boxer um, was just shaking. And man, we felt horrific. I mean, we felt horrible. So we, we quickly ran into the next door neighbor thinking maybe it was theirs and we... We go and talk to him, and he's like, and it's not mine, but he comes, and we help him. We pull it out of the ro- middle of the road and get it on the side. So Sarah then calls the numbers that were on their dog tags, and, and the guy was not over here. He was on this side of the road. Comes out in a cowboy hat, probably, I don't know, my age, maybe a little bit younger, in total shock. The, the little baby, little puppy, was uh, a, a Christmas gift for the kids, and... Um, and the boxer was, it looked like a longtime friend of, of, the, of the family. You want to talk about regret? I mean, I was beating myself up over that. I'm like, I should have stopped. I should have stopped. I should have done something. What could I have done? I, 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 just, I saw that and I thought, man, it, they're going to be okay. And I'm like, I mean, I was beating myself up over that, that whole scenario. Um, and, uh, you know, regret's a normal emotion, isn't it? We all regret things we did do or things we didn't do, in action or inaction. How you handle regret is important, but what we have to be careful of is, is that when that guilt becomes shame in our life. And, um, you know, I had a good talk with Carolyn Dunnigan. I don't know if Carolyn's here, I, but uh, Carolyn, uh, she's, she's, doing a, she's starting a class March 27th. We'll have that on the website by next week, but... She's going to be doing monthly classes on, on some of this inner healing stuff. Um, but just some really great stuff. I, I'm like, Carolyn, why don't you just come preach it? <laughs> She's so good. But she said, guilt is I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. I feel remorse for my actions. Guilt can be very healthy, right? It helps us know when we did something wrong. I went outside my values. I went outside my beliefs. Um, and you should feel guilty for doing wrong. Shame doesn't say, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. I am dirty. I didn't do something bad. I'm a bad person. 
I'm unworthy. I'm damaged beyond repair. I'll never be as good as those around me. That's what shame says. And you might find shame in different areas of your life. You might feel strong in one area and there's shame in another. Maybe, maybe you feel totally healthy in one area of your life that's have to do with your job, but shame in the way you look. I don't know. It's kind of like the difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction is the gentle tug of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, don't do that. That's wrong. Let me bring you back into the light. Let me bring you back into right standing. Condemnation says you're a horrible person and you're beyond repair. There's no coming back from this. And the problem is that when we feel re- guilt and regret, we can either move on from it and bring it to the cross or we can hold on to it. And, uh, you know, healthy guilt allows us to seek forgiveness, correct the wrong. Unhealthy guilt moves into self-punishment. I'm going to punish myself for what I did, which then moves into shame. So shame is an identity issue, really. It's not always connected to something we've done wrong, but it may be something that was done to us. Something that was done to us, possibly in an early age, a traumatic experience, but... What happens is we come into agreement with that lie that I am that. I'm dirty. I'm damaged goods. I'll never be able to be used. And the thing is, we feel ashamed of our past. So what happens is we spend our whole lives trying to prove to everybody that we're not who we were over here. We spend our whole lives trying to hide our identity and creating our own new identity in the flesh. And uh, we, should, we feel ashamed of, of how we messed up as a teenager. And so because of that shame, we can no longer tell our teenager how to live their life. Because we feel so much shame. If they knew how I did, or they, maybe they do know, well, I can't say anything to them. We never share our testimony with others because if they knew how we were, they would be disgusted with me. They'd look at me differently. We can't minister to others because of the shame of what we've done, so we hold on to it. God can't use me. I'm damaged goods. Shame says you don't have a right to something. You don't have a right. You don't have a right. You're discredited. You don't have a right to encourage somebody in their marriage because your marriage messed up. So how could you even speak to somebody and encourage them? Man, you're doing amazing. You don't have a right to discipline your son or your daughter because, well, I had, there was so much dysfunction I took them through. So I felt I'm a horrible parent, so I'm going to just give them what they want because I feel shame about the way I've, what I put them through. These feelings of shame, they affect our everyday lives. You think about it. You overreact when people criticize you. Overreact. What? What? You focus on not making mistakes. You don't want to let anybody down. You want to run or hide away when someone is upset with you. You're a different person around different people. You're a perfectionist. Nothing is ever good enough. Now, we all have a little bit of that in it, but it gets unhealthy. And God wants us to be transparent. He wants us to walk in freedom uh, so we can be whole. And I want to read for you. I, I read this a little bit last week. Sorry I'm redoing this, but I think it was worth saying Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. So last Sunday online I I highlighted this, this verse. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. The word chastisement means Insults, criticism, even discipline or punishment. It also means correction that leads to shame. Shame on you. Shame on you. That's what was thrown on the cross on Jesus. The word peace means completeness, wholeness, total health, and peace in your soul. So what Isaiah is saying, look, Jesus took on himself the shame of the world he was insulted and mocked and ridiculed. And he, and he took that shame on it so that we can be whole. He did no wrong, yet he was disciplined and corrected for it. Anybody ever felt that before? Man, it brings shame on you. 
Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and first to also the Greek. I've got a lot of people helping me preach this sermon today, and that, this one's coming from Pastor Casey. <laughs> Pastor Casey really brought this truth to our staff meeting as we were, as we were talking about it. A lot of this, a lot of times we think this verse means, I'm just not embarrassed to share about the gospel. And that, that's true, but it goes much, much deeper than that. The culture of the Romans was all about honor and shame. Don't bring shame on your family. We've all heard that. Don't bring shame. Anybody watch those period pieces, you know, on BBC. It's all about do not shame your family. Bring honor to your family. Well, the Roman cultures was about the things of the world, the riches, their empire, their victories, their kings. They even called their kings gods. So Paul comes preaching Jesus, who was born in a stable, to a carpenter's son. He was born in Nazareth. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. He was not encircled in wealth. He had no bodyguards. He died with robbers. Everyone deserted him. He was mocked and ridiculed, and he hung on a cross naked. This is the total, ultimate shame. Think about that for a second. I mean, we just kind of push that. I mean, Jesus Christ, he was, a, he was a person. He was a human. The shame that he felt. So Paul was preaching this gospel about this shame, saying, look at this shame. This is your salvation. Look at this shame on the cross you worship someone who died on a cross. And he said, I'm not ashamed of it because it's the power of God unto salvation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus rose from the dead in triumph. He's, he's now glorified. He's king of all kings. But what does he ask us to do? He asks us to keep coming back to the cross. Keep coming back to the shame. Keep looking at it. Because there's a divine exchange that God wants to do for us. He's not ashamed of the cross. Paul was not ashamed of the cross. And what we tend to do is we spend our whole lives saying, don't, don't look over there at the past. Don't look at that shame. I'm not that person anymore. And, and that's true. That's good. But we hide our shame. We act like it didn't happen. That the things done to us, even, even if they weren't our fault, we feel shame for it. We try to make up for it any way we can. We run from it. We conceal it. It controls us, though. How we act, how we talk, where we go, or even our personality is controlled by the shame. What Christ wants to do is he wants to bring that shame into the light and bring it to the cross, not out of works. We're not bringing this shame and saying, look, look at me in our ragged clothes. I'm a better person. No, no, no. We're bringing the shame to the cross and he gives us a new identity. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Really, we're bringing our shame into the light. We're holding up to the cross, and we're saying, it's not about me anymore. It's not about what I can do in my own flesh. It's I'm bringing it to the cross, and I'm holding it up, and, and I'm, I'm not afraid to even say, look, yeah, that past was pretty nasty. Yeah, that was pretty sick. But you know what? It's not about me anymore. It's about him. And when I'm bringing that shame to the cross, I'm lifting it up. And now who gets the glory? Look what Jesus did with my shame. He totally washed it away. I am a new person. Not because I've done something better. Not because I've put on brand new clothes. It's because Jesus took it all. He took the shame on the cross. It's powerful. And so one of the things Carolyn said, she's helped me preach this too. Says we love happy endings. We prayed for the person and they were healed. Man, look at the relationship that was restored. But what happens when it doesn't? If you're dependent upon your circumstances to change in order for you to have peace in your soul, you might be waiting a long time. Let me say that again. 
If you're waiting around for your circumstances to change, well, then, then I'll, I'll be complete. Then, then that shame will be gone for me. Then that guilt will be gone for me. You might be waiting a long time because there's some things that can't be undone. Some things can't be fixed. We hear stories of drunk drivers who've, who just one night had too much to drink and they kill somebody. We've heard stories of, of, of kids who set something on fire and a mom or dad dies. How do they live with that? What do you do if, you're, if, if you've got earthly situations that can't be fixed? Maybe you never got to make things right with that parent before they passed away and said, I'm sorry. Maybe you wronged a spouse and you can't fix it now. If we wait for those things to happen, we may never find the peace that we're looking for. I mean, it's a really sobering thing unless our peace is found in something else. Our redemption is not in our earthly circumstances, but it's in the presence of God. Read this here, Isaiah 26.3. I don't think I have this verse. You will keep me in perfect peace, wholeness, completeness, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Listen to this, the message. People with their minds set on you are completely whole. Listen to what Jesus says. I have told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrow, but take heart because I will overcome the world. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He says, here on earth you're going to have trials and sorrow. There's going to be things that you regret, things that are shameful, but you have peace, that completeness, that wholeness, peace in your soul, in me. So the peace and the wholeness does not come by sheer willpower. Trying to make up for whatever you did. We should try to make amends for things. But the true peace is when you bring the shame and the regret to the cross. Jesus, I can't change this, but I can't keep letting the devil beat me over the head. It's day and night. Cade's about to talk about that. I recognize I have a new identity in Christ, fully loved, fully forgiven. And you see, there's a lot of times out there the world tries to solve this problem by saying, just forgive yourself. And that is important. You should forgive yourself. But the cross takes it a whole, whole f- way further. The cross says, I give you now the power to forgive yourself. And I give you the power to get a new name. Yes. I give you the power for a new destiny. Right. And so this is the, what's so powerful. And I, I was just thinking about this morning. How does anybody do it without Jesus and the Holy Spirit? I'm serious. I don't know. I'm thinking, like, how do you get through the muck of life without the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit saying, hey, let me bring healing. Let me bring comfort. Let me show you who you really are. Let me show you who you really, who you, who I've called you to be, your destiny, your love, your everlasting love. I have, I knew you before you were even born. Don't let that shame. I took it on the cross. I totally washed it away. Just bring it to the cross. I know these things can't be fixed. In the natural, but I can bring you peace in the supernatural. So I'm going to have Cade come up and finish this sermon for me here. And then we'll close up. It's powerful. It's just powerful. You know, I just, when Jeff was speaking, just felt impressed. Um, we're just, kind of, it's kind of like a fire hydrant right now, so... Only remember what you remember because that's what Holy Spirit wants you to remember. Because that's what peace he wants to connect with, how he wants to speak with you and uh, personal. The light of Christ shining deep on dark places in our hearts where the enemy just accuses us and shames us. And I just come to you uh, this morning in vulnerability, um, sharing two things that, you know, plagued me. If shame and, and guilt were physical in my body, I mean, I, I think I would look like I had leprosy. It just would, it just, um, I just was stuck. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't break free. Um, so my prayer is, as I share these things, um, that the Lord, you would feel him shout over you who you are. 
and shatter every lie, every accusation, every bit of condemnation. He would just wipe it up. Um, so my junior year in high school, uh, I was calling myself a believer, but totally like just a knucklehead, uh, not living the right way at all. And I got stuck in peer pressure. And, um, you know, at that time of my life, uh, peer pressure was very strong. And so I end up having, um, having sex before marriage at high school. And uh, I end up getting a girl pregnant. And she called me and she said, hey, uh, we got to talk. I'm pregnant. And my stomach literally dropped like I'm in high school. I got my, my it's all about me, right? I got my whole life and convenience trumped the validity of life in that moment. I said, well, what are we going to do? She goes, well, what do you mean? I go, well, we can't, we can't, we can't, well, uh, whoa, we can't do this. We cannot do this. We, we got to figure out a plan. Well, I, I, I can get an abortion. Yes. Yes, I was just thinking the same thing. So after that, I mean, I think I did everything in the book to get money because what, what, we, what we planned on was I would pay half and she would pay half for the abortion. I'm a junior in high school. I got no money. So I lied to get money. I stole to get money. I worked to get money. I did IOUs to get money. Anything I could do to um, convenience myself and do that. Beloved, the heaven calls that murder. This government calls that second degree murder, um, and there's several types of second degree murders. That type is extreme indifference to human life. And beloved, I was guilty as charged. Met her in the parking lot, didn't even get out, held the money right outside the window, and we both took off our separate ways. Fast forward in 2008, I gave my life to the Lord, and, um, and the realization of what I had done hit me. I went on about my business. Whew. Glad that's over. Good riddance. In 2008, the Lord put his finger on that very act. And I just said, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm so sorry. All I could just, I, I could just, because now it hit me. I, I took someone's life, beloved. I paid off. It's no difference than paying somebody off to go, Kill somebody with a gun. No difference. And I stand guilty before God. And I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then the Holy Spirit said, oh, Lord, I, I forgive you, son. Now I want you to call that girl. And I want you to repent to her. So I called her. I said, hey, um, it's me. Um, and I haven't talked to you since that moment. But I just want to tell you, I'm so sorry that I forced you to partner with me in, in doing that. I said I that was wrong. I just recently gave my life to the Lord, and I'm seeing a little bit things differently. I'm so sorry how I treated you. No woman deserves to be treated like that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> And she goes, Kate, you know, I, I, I've been waiting for five years to hear that. And she started crying on the phone. And it really healed her because I owned up to what I had done. When I got saved, I just I felt like the Lord said in worship one time, I'm going to give you many sons and daughters to disciple. 
Beloved, only God can give you more than what you took from him. Only God can give you more than what you took from him. And now I'm a part-time coach, and I got about 19 guys in front of me that are just looking at me. I carry, my words carry weight in their life. My words carry weight and power in their life. And I'm looking, I'm like, Lord, how, I, only, only, only you can do that. Only you can do that. And uh, the next thing and the last, and I'll share a scripture, and then we'll just uh, do some ministry time. So uh, many of you don't know, um, but I, I'm in my second marriage. I was previously married before. If you see my little caramel drop running around here, <laughs> he's a cutie. Uh, I was previously married and um, for about a year and a half, and in that year and a half, I was uh, didn't have language for it, but I was verbally abused beyond measure. I mean, the most foul and vile things you can probably say to a human, I probably heard it. And, um, and uh, at one point of the marriage towards the end, um, I lost my job, which forced us to um, move into my pastor's home where I was living or where we had to go at the time, my pastor at the time. And uh, when we went there, uh, I mean, it just all hell broke loose. One of the most uh, darkest times of my entire life where I don't care if you, <laughs> no believer could just encourage me in this moment. It, it had to be Holy Spirit just getting down in there. And uh, we're in an argument because... You know, she's saying, well, you know, you're not a real man. You don't have a job. We're in a pastor's home and, and, uh, and we get in an argument and she tauntingly tells me that she committed adultery. And, um, that, that, that sticks more to me, um, because I'm thinking about the, the cognitive a thought process to do that. Not actually the act, the cognitive process to go through with that. And I'm just shattered. And you know, I'm, I'm angry and I'm say I'm all kinds of emotions when she's telling me, but she's telling me in this, this ill manner. And then she tells me she's going to take our son and go to Boston and you figure this thing out. So she leaves son is uh, six months old. I had to see him walk on Facebook. Couldn't call him, couldn't talk to him. So I tried to go after God as much as I could. I saw, I mean, I don't know what else to do. Either I'm going to be in a bar or I'm going to go after you, Lord. So I, I, I really need you right now. And... Um, and I was at a, at a conference, church conference in Kansas City, and on my way back, my car breaks down. Stuck in Oklahoma, had to take a Greyhound back, so I come back to the pastor's home. No wife, no son, no job, no car. I'm staying with a family of six on this whack twin bed, just horrible. And all I can do is just cry out to God. I probably even probably said I hated him because I'm like, Lord, if this is what I get for trying to go after you, I don't want to go after you. If this is what I lose for trying to go after you as best as I can, I don't want to do that. And I'm done. I want to quit. I want to quit. <laughs> I want to quit. I'm just done. I'm done. <laughs> and I knew at that point I needed to, I needed to get, and, and during that time when I'm dealing with all these emotions, I'm hearing 
the past verbal abuse go through my head, plus the accusation of the enemy. Look at you now. You ain't nothing. Where's your God at now? You're jumping up in worship. Where's he at now? He left you. Look at you. And beloved, I felt like nobody could pull me out of that. And I had just enough strength to get around the body of Christ, right? Because the body, our physical body, heals itself. So when we get around community and around the body of Christ, something supernatural starts to happen. You start to feel a little life coming back. And they're not even talking to you about your issue. (laughs) They're just, you know, just being the body. They're not coddling me in some weird, like, oh, brother. No, they're just being the body of Christ. And it's literally healing me and washing me. And uh, several things that the Lord started to speak over me uh, going through that. And uh, she never came back and ended up having to, uh, due to Texas rules of uh, if, if, if this certain circumstance happens, you got six months to do something legally. Or you don't get your you don't get your dependent. So I waited five months and thirty one days to to file, and divorce ended up happening. And the enemy was just jawjacking, jawjacking in my ear, in my mind. Can't even pray. It's just this this shame just coming over me. The body of Christ is doing something, but it takes Holy Spirit speaking to you. Something that can't be conjured up, made up. It has to be God's validation over your life to get you out of that. And so um, one of my good friends, we're in a worship service, and he just said, man, I just heard this phrase over you. And he knew what was going on. He goes, KD, you were meant to love and be loved. And I just started weeping. Because I had a little glimmer of hope. Right? My family, will I ever have one? And just a little glimmer of hope starts coming in. And then another pastor I was confiding in during this whole process, he goes, Kate, I want you to know that uh, marriage didn't hurt you. A person did. And it, it uh, broke through this cloud that I had that I just hated marriage now. I just hated friends. I, I, I just despised my friends that were enjoying their marriage. I'm like, we serve the same Jesus. How, how are they enjoying theirs? And I'm like over here barely crawling to get by. Lord, this ain't right. And it broke through that process or that, that mindset. Because you can't forgive a thing. You can forgive a person. Marriage is holy. It's awesome. And when he said that, he goes, marriage didn't hurt you. A person did. Then it allowed me to start going through that forgiveness process. Forgiving the verbal abuse. Rejecting the verbal abuse. Which, Holy Spirit, helped me. Uh, this, is, this is one of the things. T- two more things. What helped me get through this is I was in worship. And um, they were singing a good, good father. And I'm just, you know, loving on the Lord. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. And I I just heard Holy Spirit interrupt me. He goes, no, you are. No, you are. I just started to weep. Because here I am worshiping God. You're a good, good father. You'll take care of me. You'll, You'll take care of my emotions. You'll hold my heart. You'll take care of me. He goes, nope, you are. It shattered the lie. What she said, you're a bad father. You're a horrible father. It shattered in one moment. It shattered a thousand lies. One moment, Holy Spirit saying, "Uh uh-uh. I don't care if they're gone or not. I see something inside you. That you're a good father. And then the last thing is... um, when I got married to my wife, Annabella, in 2016, I'm, I'm looking at her uh, come down the altar, and I just started to weep. 
you know, it's a, it's a moment. It's beautiful, right? But I was weeping because I felt a fresh wave of a new start coming over me. A fresh wave that, Lord, you kept me. Lord, you sustained me. You brought love again. You taught me how to love again. And her kindness and compassion and unjudgmental character towards me was just washing me. It was washing me. It was washing me. Why am I saying all this? Beloved, because we have an accuser that is before God day and night accusing about every single one of you. I don't care if you're five or 50. He is accusing day and night. Revelation speaks of him, the accuser of the brethren. So this is one of the main scriptures that just broke. Just I just broke through from this. So my prayer is that I share these next few things. That something will break off of you in the moment. Uh, Zechariah 1 through 3. I'll read this real quick. It's not going to be up there. Zechariah is in a, in, a, um, in a vision. And he says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, with Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes. Jeff was just alluding to that. As he stood before God in filthy clothes. So the angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him. Take off his filthy clothes. Take them off. Then he said to him, and he looked right at him. Can you imagine? Telling everybody around, take off those clothes. And then he looks right at Joshua and says, see, I remove your iniquity. And then I said, this is Zechariah. He jumps in the process of redemption. He goes, Jesus hadn't even come yet. Only somebody sovereign can reverse what's going on right now. Because he let the priesthood go to shambles for 16 years. He had blood on his hands. He failed miserably. And all of Israel was going on behind him because of his mess. And Zechariah goes, oh my gosh, the redemption of God. Yes, don't only throw off his filthy clothes. Put a new turban on his head. Which on the turban on a priest, right on that gold emblem, holy unto the Lord. Holy unto the Lord. In a single moment, he took off those garments and put a turban on his head and said, I don't care how filthy it is, you're clean, you're pure. Which, by the way, all this snow going on, I'm like, the the verse kept coming to mind, you washed us as white as snow. White as snow. And I'm like, is snow the purest form of white? Because this is just blinding, like even the night was like light. Like, I'm like, this is like really white. Then I started doing some study and I said, and they said, snow is actually clear because of its crystals. But when the light hits it, when the light hits it, we see white. God washed us past white. He washed us so pure that we're clear. And when his light fills us, Resemble white as snow. That's what that scripture means. I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, white as snow. He washed me white as snow. Oh my God, it's white as snow. It's like I'm clear, but I'm not clear. I'm white as snow. Anyways. <laughs> All right, let's continue real quick. Then the angel of the Lord charged Joshua. So he cleans him. He says, uh, rebukes Satan, puts a new turtle on his head. Then the angel of the Lord says, this is what the Lord of hosts says to you. If you walk in my ways and keep my instructions, you will both rule my house, take care of my courts. I will also grant you access among all those standing here. Beloved, that's the courts of heaven being accessed by people who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. 
You have the authority of a son and daughter to access heaven because of his redemptive blood that shouts louder over every accusation that the enemy could come against you with. Every accusation. So this web, this demonic web of accusation, this is what the enemy does day and night. Lies to God about you. They're hypocrites. How could your blood do something like this? They're weak, sinful. They're going to mess up the next day, the next moment. You're going to really save them? You're going to redeem them? (laughs) That's pathetic. Day and night to God. The the audacity to taunt God like that, by the way. Then he he lies to us about God. You think he's going to wash you after that? How long you been addicted? <laughs> and you're still addicted. Yeah, he ain't washing you. Then he does self-accusation. Lies to us about us. <laughs> you're never going to change. You're going to be stuck like this forever. You know what? You're actually just like your father. You're just like your mom. <laughs> you know what happened to her. She didn't change either. Neither will you. It starts, this is day and night, beloved. Day and night. And then, the last one, he lies to us about each other. You think they're for you? (laughs) They're just using you. You think they really like you? (laughs) They're they're fake. You you, you remember that at one time that pastor, someone hurt you? It's a hypocrite. They're all hypocrites. Enemy, day in, day out, lying to God about you, lying to us about God, lying to us about us, then he lies to us about each other. And beloved, that's a demonic vortex that the enemy wants to just solidify us in. Because if he can keep us in that, we'll be angry, we'll be bitter, we'll be stuck in shame, we won't understand our identity, we won't understand our authority. We won't understand what God actually did and how his love actually goes beyond what we could ever do. And my, my, my prayer for us today is that we will come out of the accusation room and get into the agreement room. Come out of the accusation room and come into the agreement. Well, what does that mean? Okay, I'm so glad you asked me. That means come into the room where you can agree with what God has said over you knitted you, formed you, wrote, wrote your book, wrote your story out, line by line, sentence by sentence, every period, every comma, every exclamation point, he wrote it out, and he will it, it'll be faithful to fulfill it. Because he's written it out. Can you imagine God? You're a living epistle now with God's story written on your heart that nobody can mess up. No demon, no principality, no nothing can mess that up except you. Except you. I'm going to leave you with this verse. I'm going to call the worship team up. So after my two testimonies and sharing you what Holy Spirit did and sharing just a little bit of scripture of how, by the way, that violent, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, was as violent as the word he uses when he drove out demons out of people. That's the same violent verb he used in rebuking Satan. He didn't just say, hey, hey, uh, uh, can you be quiet, please, Satan? I'm trying to minister here. No, he said, hey, the Lord rebuke you with authority. You shut your mouth. That's Papa right there. (laughs) Put his foot down. I was like, yeah, that's my dad right there. It's my daddy taking up from me. The... The, the violent jealousy God has will trump every accusation that the enemy will ever come against you with. I leave you with this verse. Romans 8, 33 through 35. Worship team, you can come up. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? <laughs> no one for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who will then condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, interceding for us. 
Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble, calamity, persecution, hungry, destitute, in danger, threatened with death, accused? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Me and Jeff are still going to tag team here, but I, I just was, I was just feeling there, we're in a moment right now. Holy Spirit hovers over moments like this where you can feel tangible grace being extended to you, an invitation being extended to you. Whether you're 9, 12, 15, or 60, it, it, it doesn't matter. Holy Spirit was highlighting something. In whatever area of your life, in whatever season of your life, when you were younger, last year, let's just close our eyes. So a couple minutes here, I'm just going to allow Holy Spirit just to highlight things. That maybe you need, like Jeff said, you need to forgive yourself. Even a prayer like, Lord, I, I need to hear something over myself that just transcends the shame and the guilt. Holy Spirit, speak right now. Holy Spirit, speak right now. I just want to, Cade, I want to speak something. We, we, um, we felt Cade was supposed to share this testimony because, honestly, we felt that there might be still some residue in his heart. And uh, we felt like there was a new freedom for Cade today. And I just want to speak this. You are a new creation. Nobody in this place is looking at your past. He was afraid. He said, man, if I, if I share this, people are going to think, oh, okay, about his past. And see, that's a lie of the enemy. Well, you know what we see? We go, look what Jesus did. Look what he did. We're not done praying, but I just want to share something real quick. Um, Peter denied Christ three times. He denied him. I mean, I don't know this, even curse. I don't know this man, the man who had done everything for him. And the Bible says he ran away and just weeping and crying because of, of the shame he felt. And Jesus, after he'd been raised from the dead, he, he sees Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know, I love you. He says, no, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. And then he says again, no, Peter, do you love me? And the Bible says Peter was hurt. He was hurt. And I think Jesus was doing a couple things there. Number one, he was going back to the place of the hurt and he was opening up the wound again. He was going back to that place, that memory, and said... I'm opening up this wound again that you hurt, you feel shame for. And you know what he did? He said, my plan for you has not changed. Feed my sheep. You're not done in the kingdom of God. Your, your days are not over. In fact, 
you're going to have a... He, he even told him how he was going to die for him. He was telling him, I'm, you're going to do something that you couldn't do before. You denied me. Now I'm going to show you what you're going to do for the kingdom of God. Here's the thing I want to tell you right now as we pray real quick. The Lord wants to bring you back. It's hurtful as it is, but he has to open the wound so he can heal it. And as we pray, you're gonna, you might hear a moment or something in your heart of where you say, that was the moment of shame. That was the moment of guilt. Gosh, Lord, I can't seem to get over this. And when the Lord reveals it to you, it means he wants to heal it. And as he begins healing, he's going to speak over you and say, I'm not done with you. You're a new creation in Christ. So what, what I want us to do is, I, this is something we all have some, some residue in our life. Come on. Come on, not, not one of us can walk out here and say, yeah, I don't got nothing. We all have something. I was going through this. I've gone through this a million times. I'm sitting there going, God, why is this still in my heart? Can we just close our eyes and lift up our hands right now? And Lord, I, I want you to just ask the Lord this question, Father. Show me, show me the hurt. Show me the place. Show me the memory, Father, that I... Lord may take you back to something as a child, something as a five or six year old, whatever it is, that, that shame, that, that feeling of I'm not wanted, I'm not worthy. Come on, just, just listen, ask him, spit, say it out loud. Lord, show me the memory, show me the hurt, show me the hurt. And now what I want you to do is I want you to say this. I say, Lord, I repent for agreeing with the lie that I'm unworthy. Everybody say this. I repent for agreeing with the lie that I'm unworthy. I repent of, the lie, of agreeing with the lies of the enemy, Lord. Whatever that lie that you believed, if you believe you're unworthy, you were damaged goods, whatever it is, I want you to say, I repent for believing in that. I repent for coming in agreement with that. I repent for, for saying, yeah, you're right. I am a bad person. I, I am damaged goods. I am whatever it is. Repent of it. Just say, I'm so sorry, God, that I didn't believe what you said about me. Let the healing balm of Jesus flow over you right now. And then what I want you to just say, Lord, is I choose to believe what you say about me. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm loved. I'm holy. I'm whole in you, Jesus. I'm free in you, Jesus. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on. I want you to just begin to say it. Say it out loud. Don't be afraid. Lord, just begin to say, I am free in you, Lord. I am whole in you, God. I am loved. I am fully loved, fully known, and yet you still love me, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. Oh, let the healing power flow through this place, God. Lord, this place is a house of healing, so heal your people, Jesus. Heal your people, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What we're going to do is just ask the... Um, I'm about to dismiss here, but I'm going to ask the prayer team to come on up. If you're part of our prayer team, will you come up and... We're going to just have some worship time and we'll release you guys don't have any of my prayer team guys come on up and, and get in place if you just need somebody to pray with and say lord i i need to get free of this thing i need to get free of it these guys they hear the lord and uh and we'll keep worshiping lord we just thank you father for the courage the strength and the courage that kate had lord to release this and Lord I pray Holy Spirit that you would fill every person Lord with a new knowledge of you Jesus for their life and Kay why don't you finish this prayer why don't you finish out Father we just just ask for your word to wash us that life giving word washes us and cleanses makes us whole gives us life 
gives us purpose, gives us destiny. Father, I just ask that you would set your seal of love upon those who are here, God. Set your seal of love upon them, God, that they would know that they know that they know that they're loved by you. That there's nothing they can do less and nothing they can do more to have more love from you. You're just absolute love over them. Father, I ask for experiential knowledge. Experiential knowledge of the love of God, the redemption of Christ, the validity of what your blood did on that cross for us. Wash over us today. Wash over us in our cars and our homes. As people are coming up and as we're leaving, Father, I ask that your washing spirit, the spirit that washes us, your word that washes us, your presence that washes us, washes every lie, washes every accusation, washes shame, washes yes, guilt. Yes, Lord. Let it wash over us. Yes, Let it wash over us, Lord. Yes, Lord. Wash over our minds. Yes, wash over our emotions. Wash over our bodies. Let it wash over us today. Jesus. Amen. I, I'm going to formally dismiss, but I just want to just say, if you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit, do not leave here without getting prayer. Come forward because you don't know. God can do something in just a few minutes that you've been struggling with for years. Yes. He yes. can free you that from that thing in a, few year, in, in, in a few moments. So if you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit, don't leave here without just taking a moment to get some prayer. So I bless you guys. Have an amazing, amazing week. We love you guys. And these altars are open. Amen.